thank you for uh, uh, inviting me again. Uh, what a treat to be back at True Love Church. Uh, pastor Tony is my favorite pastor, and uh, every time I get a chance to come to his church is uh, the greatest blessing. And today, actually, it's so encouraging to not see that many people here because that's actually a really good sign. It means a lot of people went to the retreat. <laughs> and, you know, that's what we want to see as a church. Uh, whenever there's retreats and things like that, opportunities like that, um, more of our members take advantage of, of that kind of opportunity for a few days. So this is really encouraging to see. Hopefully next year we have nobody here. <laughs> Everybody's at the retreat. <laughs> um, I actually, uh, I, I'm David, for those of you who uh, have never uh, seen me before. I've been here, I think this is my third time. Uh, again, thank you so much for having me. Happy New Year. It's a little late, but Happy New Year. Um, I have been actually off ministry for the past three weeks, uh, so I'm a little rusty. I haven't even been preaching or doing nothing because uh, my wife just uh, gave birth to our, to our third child a couple of weeks ago. So uh, my church graciously granted me a month off. Uh, but you know, at Asian churches, when they say a month, it's never really a month, right? <laughs> so I'm planning to go back before the month is over. But uh, this is my first time preaching in a few weeks. So thank you so much for uh, the opportunity to do so here at, at True Love. Um, I, uh, I wanted just to uh, talk a little bit about hope. You know, as we, it's kind of already like almost March, but uh, this new year, um, I wanted us to see how we can uh, maybe have a year filled with hope, uh, despite the fact, despite the fact that uh, so many other things are happening uh, around us and around the world. Uh, a couple of months ago, before the year ended, I. Uh, you know, was very honest with my church. Uh, I was uh, a little bit courageous, I guess. Um, but I wanted to be very blunt and honest with my church because I've been there for five years now. So if we have been together for five years, I, th I thought, you know, we should be honest with each other. The relationship is there. So maybe we can talk a little think about things that are a little bit more like uh, difficult to talk about just because now we should be more of a family after having spent five years together. And uh, about a couple of months ago, I told my church uh, that after uh, 20 plus years of ministry, uh, which is the amount of time I have doing ministry, and after five years of having pastored my church uh, that I'm at right now, and uh, I told them, never have I felt more hopeless <laughs> about our church. Uh, uh, at a personal level, I, I told them, I, as, a, as the pastor of the church, I felt very hopeless. Uh, never have I felt more like a disappointment uh, as a pastor than I did uh, about a couple of months ago. And I, I was telling them the reasons why. And I was at my church for five years, and I have, uh, you know, I feel like the church is not in a necessarily better place than it was five years ago <laughs> when I first came. I told them uh, many, uh, uh, some of the key members uh, that have been with the church for a long time, they left the church. 
and I couldn't find a way to keep them in the church. Uh, every time somebody from the church leaves, especially in a small church, at least for the pastor and some of the leaders, it feels like some form of death. You know, you lose part of yourself. Uh, so it's, it's always very difficult to see people leave, but key members left the church. Uh, I was also telling them for the past five years, I tried to implement a discipleship program to make sure that our church is making disciples, but I have failed at doing that as well. We don't have a, a steady program where people go through and, you know, like where they can grow in their discipleship as Christians. So I was telling them, I wonder if we are making any disciples or not at our church. I failed to lead our church into uh, more evangelism and uh, missions. We are not uh, strongly doing evangelism or, or, or missions as a church. And I told them, I, I failed in, uh, as a pastor, I failed connecting with the next generation, with the younger believers. Uh, when it comes to younger believers now, if I'm really honest, like, I'm actually scared to even talk to them. I don't even know where to start, and I don't even know if I'm going to get a response. I'm not, I'm not sure if what I'm going to say is actually going to be something that they don't like. Um, and I have failed to connect with the next generation as a church. We have seen uh, more and more of our youth leaving the church. Youth ministry and college ministry, when I was a new pastor 20-something years ago, used to be the easiest ministries at the church, the most fun, the most exciting. People just trusted the pastor, and kids would want to be at church, hang out, go drink boba, and do a lot of fun things. It was, in a way, the most fun and exciting and easy ministry in the church. Uh, but today, I was telling my church, it's become, for me at least, the hardest ministry I can't seem to even have a conversation with them anymore. So after 20 plus years, um, never have I felt more confused. Never have I felt more lost. Never have I felt more inept. Uh, never have I felt more hopeless uh, in being a pastor and also in the future of at least my church. Um, and maybe there are some of us here in this room, perhaps feeling a little bit like that, uh, a little bit hopeless. Maybe you're in a situation where you don't see a way forward. Uh, you, don't, you don't think that things will get better. And you have come to a place where you even dread the idea of hoping again. Uh, for anybody who's feeling that way, uh, today's passage in today's passage, Luke shows us how we can turn hopelessness into hope. And uh, that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, uh, you can open to uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. If you don't, I'll read it for you. But uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25, I'm reading from the ESV. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25, this is what it says. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. 
But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of, in, at, at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared." And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had, been, he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me, to take away my reproach among people. Uh, this is a, a well-known story, and um, you know Luke is giving us a, a, a long description of uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth to show us their spiritual pedigree. Like it doesn't get better than them when it comes to uh, devoted people to God. That's what Luke is trying to show us by giving us the history, the pedigree of Elizabeth and Zechariah as you know, their spiritual pedigree. Luke is trying to show us it doesn't get any better than them. They are the best Christians that you will ever find. They're, they're the most devoted, wholeheartedly devoted uh, followers of God, husband and wife, men and women of God. It just doesn't get any better than them. They're the best Christians you will ever find. But to the best Christian couple around, uh, they had no child. To the best Christian couple around, to those that were mostly devoted to God, wholeheartedly serving him with all that they had, they did not have a child. Uh, even in some circles today, although not as, as, as much as in the past, but even today, in some circles, we're going to find some groups, some circles, where if the woman is not able to have a child, she will be considered a disappointment to society. Uh, even today, we have circles and cultures that um, have uh, beliefs like that. Just, to, just for illustration's sake, back then, it was a million times worse. 
if you were not able to have a child at this time, you were considered worthless as a woman, you will not fulfill the purpose of why God created you as a woman. You were considered disappointment to your family, friends, and all of society. You were a reproach uh, to everybody around you. So the godliest couple could not bear children, and though they prayed for years and years and years, and they served God faithfully, what came in return to them was hopelessness and being a disappointment to everybody around them. That's what faithfulness got them to. That's what prayer got them to, to become a disappointment to society and their family and their friends and to be hopeless, not just temporarily, but for the rest of their lives. Because now they were too old to have children. They were advanced in years, so now they were going to be a disappointment, not just temporarily, but permanently uh, for the rest of their lives. There is no more hope. They're going to be hopeless, and they're going to be a disappointment for the rest of their lives. Have you ever been uh, in a, a similar situation like Elizabeth, where maybe you... Uh, saw yourself as a disappointment, uh, uh, as a failure, uh, worthless, um, having no value. Uh, everybody looks around you and they remind you all the time the reasons why you are a disappointment, why you don't measure up, why you are uh, uh, worthless, why you have no value, even though you are a faithful Christian. Even as a faithful Christian, have you ever experienced uh, something like that? Maybe growing up, maybe from your family, maybe right now. And have you experienced, like Elizabeth, perhaps, years and years and years of prayer, earnest prayer to God, just to come back to you in the form of hopelessness? Like you dedicate your life to pray for something that you desperately need God to answer, and the response is hopelessness, permanent hopelessness. Because that's what uh, is happening in the life of the most faithful Christians of this time, the godliest couple around. In return, they get disappointment, worthlessness, no value to society, family, and friends and permanent hopelessness. Uh, although, and this is how we know that they were a faithful couple, because despite everything, all the challenges that they're experiencing, they continue to wholeheartedly serve God. That's what we see in the next verses. Uh, Zechariah, as a priest, continues his duties as a priest, goes into the temple, burns incense to prepare for the sacrificial offering, uh, so these are faithful people. Despite all of the setbacks and all the disappointments, all, all the pain and suffering, at a personal level, they don't stop serving God with their lives. They remain faithful to God. Uh, and, you know, so Zechariah did not experience success when it comes to family life. They were not able to have children. However, Zechariah experienced major success when it comes to his career. Because he got to go into the temple and burn incense. 
<laughs> Some of you are saying uh, that doesn't sound like much. <laughs> you know, that's that's a, a successful career to go inside the temple and burn incense. Well, in 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 these times, it was. Not every priest got an opportunity to do it, but even if you were chosen to do it, if if you're one of the few that were picked or elected, you had to beat the odds of eighteen thousand to one to be the one priest that gets the opportunity in their lifetime to go into the temple and burn incense in the holy place to prepare for a sacrificial offering. It was a special, special opportunity that didn't come to all the priests. And if it did come to you, you had to beat the odds 18,000 to one to be the one picked to actually go and burn incense. It's a pretty big deal. It's the peak of his career, peak of his life, the most successful moment uh, that he will experience probably in his life. Today, it's like if, you know, if we get a new president and you're the one pastor out of thousands of thousands of thousands of pastors, the one pastor that gets picked to go and pray at the presidential inauguration. And today, it's like, I guess, if you're into basketball, like LeBron James winning the scoring record, you know, that doesn't happen all the time. It's a very special opportunity that only a few uh, get to experience in their lifetime. So Zechariah is having major success because he's picked to go into the temple to burn incense, and he's already, exp- he's a- he's already experiencing the-, the-, the highest moment of his life, the peak of his life, the peak of his career, but God tops that experience because when Zachariah goes into the temple, he gets to have a transcendent experience of seeing an angel appear right before him. So this is a good day. This is a good day for Zachariah because he's not only getting to go into the temple, he's already experiencing the peak of his life, but God tops that experience by giving him a transcendent experience. When he goes into the temple, an an angel, it's not just any angel, it's one of God's top angels, Gabriel, shows up and, and speaks to Zachariah. This is the godliest of men. He's a priest himself, but when he sees the angel, fear fills his heart. If you and I ever get to see an angel, uh, if God ever grants you the the opportunity to see an angel, this is how you're going to respond, with fear. Because these are majestic beings. Uh, These are beings that when we see them, we're going to have awe and reverence. These are majestic beings that when they show up in front of us, we're going to be filled with fear. They're they're like nothing we have ever seen in our lives. Angel comes to Zechariah and he says, fear not. Your prayers have been heard. God will give you a son. First words that come out of the mouth of the angel, Zachariah is already kind of trying to process everything. An angel is in front of him, and now an angel is saying that God's going to make his impossible situation into a possible one. At a time where biologically now it's impossible for them to have children, an angel is showing up and is asking Zachariah to believe, hey, God's finally going to give you a son. This is the time when Zachariah and Elizabeth, they have already stopped you know, hoping for any kind of 
having a child in the future. They had, they had, you know, that they were just dreading the idea of hoping that they had, that they, they, they were satisfied with their life peak being burning incense in the temple, and they will be happy with that. They, they had, they had, they had settled just to live life hopeless. Finally, after years of praying and disappointment and pain and suffering, they had decided no more. We're not going to hope for any good thing to happen in life ever again. And that's when the angel shows up and says, you're going to have a son. Your prayers have been heard. You're going to have a son. Uh, the first thing that we can see from this passage Hopelessness turns into hope only through prayer, persistent prayer, without giving up kind of prayer. See, the angel didn't have to say that, but the first thing that the angel says when he shows up, your prayers, those prayers that you lifted up to God for years and years and years that you have come to believe that are useless now, that you have, that you have stopped doing now, those prayers have been heard. That's what's changing your hopelessness into hope. That's what is giving you now a son in times where you don't even believe it's possible for you to have a son. Your prayers were not in vain. Your prayers have been heard. Hopelessness. It is of the end. Prayer is essential to see hopelessness turn into hope. That's how God works, through your prayers. He changes your hopelessness into hope through consistent, persistent, without giving up kind of prayers. And this baby that Zechariah is going to have is going to be a special one. It's not that God forgot about them. It's not that God abandoned them. It's not that God didn't have a plan for Zechariah and Elizabeth. God actually had greater plans, plans that they couldn't even think or imagine, much better than they could have ever had because the angel said, this son that you're going to have, he's going to have a name. He's going to have a mission. His name is John, and his mission is going to be to bring back the people of God that have left God, that have strayed from God, that have rebel from God, he's going to bring them back to the Lord. This is a prophet that's going to be born. He's going to have a name. He's going to have a mission. God has much greater plans than you could have ever. You just want it. You just pray for a baby your whole life. God's going to give you a baby with an amazing mission, a prophet to bring back to the Lord those who have strayed from him. The reason why we have a description of the baby here is because God, Luke is trying to show us a couple of things. It wasn't just that Zachariah and Elizabeth were hopeless at this time. The whole nation of Israel was hopeless. Because the entire nation of Israel, they didn't have a prophet for the past 400 years. The last prophet was Malachi in the Old Testament. And since then, God has, has not given them a new prophet. So the nation of Israel is thinking God has forgotten about us. God has abandoned us. God doesn't care about us. There's no future for us. The nation of Israel was hopeless. They thought God forgot and abandoned them. The nation was hopeless. Zechariah and Elizabeth was hopeless. No child, no hope for the nation. But through the birth of this child, God is giving hope back to the nation of Israel and to Zechariah 
and Elizabeth. God is saying, I'm on the move again. I am started by the birth of a new prophet. God is showing, I am moving, I am acting, I have not forgotten, you are not hopeless, I am on the move again. God is starting to move and act again in the entire nation of Israel and in the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Another thing that we can see, hopelessness is birth. I mean, hope is birth out of hopelessness. That's just how God likes to work. When in human thinking or human terms, things become hopeless, that's when God likes to start to bring hope into your life and mine. Because only then we can surely say it is God and no one else. Nothing else. This is totally an act of God. That's how God likes to work. God likes to birth hope when things are hopeless. The nation was hopeless. Zachary and Elizabeth were hopeless. And that's when God starts to bring hope again. So for any of us here who perhaps are in a hopeless situation right now, you might be in the beginning stages of seeing hope rise in your life, seeing God perhaps do new things and start working in your life again. So these are some of the things that we see uh, from, from our passage, and uh, this, you know, Zechariah, the, the godliest of, of, of godliest of men, the most faithful men, the, the best Christian, when the angel says to him, first of all, an angel appears, so like, you know, that's already pretty fantastic. But then the angel says, I have a message from God, you're going to have a son. And the godliest of men, a priest himself, he says, give me a sign. <laughs> give me a sign. Uh, he shouldn't have asked for a sign. Because the angel said, this is your sign. You're going to be mute until the baby's born. <laughs> Um, the angel was not enough. God's words uh, were not enough for somebody who had been so deeply wounded uh, by hopelessness, by being a disappointment, by being worthless his whole life. It became too hard, too difficult for somebody like that to believe again. Even though he's the best of the best when it comes to like the best Christians around, even though he's a priest himself, it became too difficult for him to hope again. Too painful for him to hope again. So we understand Zechariah. When you have been a disappointment for so long, when you have been worthless for so long, when you have been in pain for so long, when you have been hopeless for so long, the scariest thing, the most painful and most difficult thing is to start to hope again. So even when an angel shows up, and not just any angel, but the best of the best, God, one of God's best angels with God's promises, he's still a priest, a man of God, cannot believe. And he says, give me a sign. 
Angel, you don't understand. I cannot get, I cannot go through that painful process of hoping again. We were there just years ago, and just not too long ago, we had settled to just live, live a safe life, to just believe that nothing good will ever happen in our lives again. We have come to dread ever hoping again, and you're asking me to hope again? This is too hard, angel. This is too hard. Uh, I cannot do this. Give me a sign. He shouldn't have asked for a sign. He'll be mute until the baby's born. Um, That's how Zechariah responds. Uh, But, you know, this passage clearly shows that... um, Uh, Women are better Christians than men because Elizabeth responds in a different way. The men, we become mute because we can't believe. The women, Elizabeth, her response is different. Elizabeth, she goes away for five months uh, to, to have a personal retreat. She goes away for five months to have a personal retreat to relish and ponder all that God is doing in her life. And her response at the end of that is singing. She starts to sing to God. She starts to sing praises to God. And she says, God has removed my reproach. Elizabeth, in her time away, as she was meditating on what God was doing in her life, she came to realize she's not a disappointment. She came to realize she's not a disappointment. She's not a reproach. She's a miracle story. God has turned a disappointment, somebody who was considered a disappointment her whole life, into a miracle story. She, she was never a disappointment. She was never a reproach. God had never abandoned her. God had never stopped loving her. God had never stopped working in her life. Hope was always there. She came to realize she's not a reproach. God has removed my reproach. She's a miracle story. She came to realize in her time away, pondering and meditating what God is doing, she came to realize that she is so deeply loved by God. She's not a reproach. She's not a reproach. She's not a disappointment. She's not worthless. God would even defy the laws of physics to heal her deepest wounds, to grant her her deepest longings and desires. This is who God is, the God that loves her so much because he will even defy the laws of physics to care for her deepest wounds and to give her her deepest longings and desires. This is the God who's working in cosmic matters, like bringing people that have strayed from God back to him, but also the God that personally cares and pays attention to somebody like Elizabeth. And her deepest pains and struggles, God cares for. He has not forgotten. He's working on them.
This is the God who's showing Elizabeth. It is not that God forgot. It is not that God didn't have a plan for your life. It is not that God made your life hopeless, but God actually is at work in your life, and he has plans for your life. He has a plans to prosper you, to give you a future, and to give you hope. Much better than she could have ever, ever thought or imagined. Elizabeth realized how deeply God loves her in her moment away, in her personal retreat, as she was relishing all of the things that God was doing in her life. She came to see, God has not forgotten me. God so deeply loves me. I am not a reproach. And you know, for the only hope, the the only cure to hopelessness, the only cure to hopelessness is divine love. The only cure to hopelessness is divine love. This is why Elizabeth is singing at the end of our passage today. She has been healed from her hopelessness. For somebody who has been considered a disappointment her whole life, for somebody who has been deeply wounded by all, by, by being told that she is worthless, has no value, has no purpose for her existence, for somebody who has been a disappointment, worthless, has no value for her whole life, and has become hopeless because of that, the only thing that will cure her hopelessness is experiencing love. For somebody who's been a disappointment, worthless her whole life, the only thing that can cure that kind of hopelessness is divine love. Not any kind of love, divine love. And that's what she's experiencing, and that's why she sings and is filled with hope at the end of our passage today. You and I know that God loves you and God loves me as well. We also can experience his love for us because in reality, we do disappoint God. We are a disappointment in reality. We do disappoint him. In reality, we're worse than a disappointment. We're actually sinners, (laughs) right? But... For disappointments like us, for sinners like us, God himself comes in the flesh to become a disappointment for you and for me. Remember, Jesus was considered a disappointment at the end of his life. That's why all of his disciples left him. He didn't measure up. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, comes into earth to become a disappointment for you. Not only that, he not only came to become a disappointment, but he came to suffer and die, not when you and I were good, but while we, while we were yet sinners, while we were still a disappointment, he came to suffer and die for you. So we know that he loves us. We know that Jesus loves us more than anybody for, has anybody ever died for you? 
Has anybody that claims to love you, has, have, have, have they gone as far as showing you their love for you by giving their life for you? I don't have anybody who has died for me, not even my parents. Jesus went as far as showing you that he really loves you and make, proving it to you by dying for you. If he came to die, to do the hard thing, if he came to die for you, he's not going to forget you. He's not going to abandon you. He's going to work in your life. He's going to walk with you. He's going to answer your deepest longing and desires. He's going to heal your wounded heart. He's going to have a plan for your life, a much better plan that you can ever think or imagine that has a future and a hope. Dying for you is the hard part. Giving you a hope and a future is the easy part. This is how hopelessness is turned into hope. For you and me, if you and I go, how can, how, how can we not sing if we really come to grasp how much Christ loves you and he loves me. If you, like Elizabeth, go home today and for the next few weeks and hopefully for the rest of your life, you go home and you relish in his love for you, how much he loves you, you will also sing. For you, just like uh, Elizabeth, for you and for me, 2023, when we realize God's love for your life and mine, uh, this year, will be a year filled with hope. Let's pray.